Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Hey, y'all. It's Brittany. On Tuesday, the divided Senate voted to proceed with Donald Trump's second impeachment trial. So, yes, the trial will go on, despite some Republicans' attempts to stop it. And I have to say, frankly, it has been exhausting watching GOP senators try to minimize and dodge and outright dismiss what we all saw, that Trump incited the insurrection on January the 6th. It happened right before our very eyes, like in public, on video. We're gonna walk down to the Capitol because you'll never take back our country with weakness. But Republicans essentially keep telling us, no, he didn't do that. You didn't hear what you thought you heard. There's nothing to see here, classic, right? Y'all, Republicans are gaslighting America. And I've been thinking about gaslighting. It's a term that refers to how a person who is abusive or an abusive system can deviously get their victims to doubt their reality. They distort and, you know, manipulate the truth to such an extent that it makes your head spin and it makes you start to question what's real. The majority of GOP senators want us to just move on like gaslighters always do. But there's no doubt that Trump did incite violence against the government of the United States. And the Constitution, and honestly the future, it requires that we deal with it. I hope this impeachment trial will at least set the record straight. No matter how many lies we get told, and no matter what Trump's cousin Vinny-like lawyer has to say, I believe in our collective ability to hold on to the truth. And yeah, DJT, we know what you did. We are undistracted. On the show today, Opal Tometi. I will be talking to the co-founder of the Black Lives Matter organization about the historic rise of this broad and vast movement and how the pandemic contributed to last year's uprising. There was an overwhelming sense that if Black people can still be killed with impunity in this environment, where so many are saying, you know, we're in all this together and it didn't match up. It just did not. That's coming up, but first, it's your untrending news. 
Okay, so let's start off with something good. New York has finally repealed its walking while trans ban. The anti-loitering law that began in 1976 allowed the police to arrest anyone they suspected was engaging in sex work without having any compelling evidence. However, advocates say that it was usually used to unfairly target Black and Latinx trans women. T.S. Candy of the nonprofit Black Trans Nation and a whole lot of others have been referring to the ban as stop and frisk for trans women. It's a stop and frisk 2.0. So finally, after decades of lobbying, the New York State Legislature has finally repealed the ban. T.S. Candy says it is the beginning of a new era. So congrats to all of the activists and the organizers and the freedom fighters who fought for decades to have this archaic discriminatory law taken off the books. Next up, advocates in New York want to make it the first state to decriminalize sex work, and we are behind you. Now, this past few weeks have seen a massive rise in anti-Asian hate crimes. At the start of the month, an 84-year-old Thai man in San Francisco was killed by a teen who slammed him to the ground in broad daylight. And last week, a 64-year-old Vietnamese woman in San Jose was attacked and robbed, and a Filipino man in a New York subway was slashed across the face. Since the start of the pandemic, there has been an increase in violence against Asians, Asian Americans, and Pacific Islanders in the U.S., Many people blame Trump, who repeatedly referred to COVID-19 as the China virus or the Wuhan virus. Last month, President Biden issued a memorandum condemning the attacks, but there is still so much we can all do. Here's what civil rights activist Amanda Wynn had to say. We're in a moment of reckoning. I urge people to wake up and choose love. Look, I know that sounds really corny, but the opposite of love isn't hate, it's apathy. Wake up and choose love. I couldn't agree more, Amanda. Look, y'all, white supremacy wants all of us, especially marginalized folks, to turn on each other. And the pandemic is making that even worse. We absolutely cannot allow our Asian American siblings to feel unsupported. So much of the way that bias manifests against Asian American and Pacific Islander folks is invisibility and erasure. So we need to be the antidote to that. There is a new Asian American movement emerging and we are not going to be silent anymore. And finally, a brand new documentary about Britney Spears has fanned the flames of the hashtag Free Britney movement. Y'all, I have watched it and it is infuriating. Framing Britney Spears chronicles the pop star's tumultuous history from, you know, her teenage debut all the way through her 20s and into the present. The 39-year-old pop star lives under the conservatorship of her father, Jamie Spears, and for 13 years, nearly every single aspect of her life, including major financial, professional, and medical decisions, has been controlled by him. In recent years, it was the fans who organized an entire Free Britney movement, and they've been campaigning for the singer's autonomy. Why is she still in this? Why is her dad making all of her decisions? What do we want? Free Britney! 
organizer Nalini Stamp from the Working Families Party, she actually weighed in on Twitter. And she said that the Free Britney movement is a really powerful example of civilian organizing. She pointed out that no one really cared what was going on with Britney or that she was under conservatorship until real people, not celebrities, started organizing around it. You know, it's easy to dismiss this as just fandom, standum, if you will. But from the problematic system of conservatorship to the power of organizing real people, there's a lot for us to learn here. Britney Jean Spears deserves her self-determination, and we wish her all the best. And, not but, if people could put this much energy on behalf of one woman, imagine what we can do together for all women, femmes, and gender nonconforming people. Hashtag free Britney. Hashtag free all of us. Coming up, I'll be talking to Opal Tometi about how the phrase Black Lives Matter went from being seen as a radical national security threat to finding its way into living rooms all across the entire world. That's happening right after this short break. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. And we're back. Honestly, it's pretty incredible that the latest iteration of the Movement for Racial Justice has been nominated for a 2021 Nobel Peace Prize. When I heard the news a couple of weeks ago, I mean, I was lit and I was so grateful for the thousands of people that have made this movement move. The Norwegian MP who nominated it said he did so because it's, quote, bringing forward a new consciousness and awareness about racial justice. Yes, yes, it is. In 2020, this movement shook the entire world. Not only did the phrase Black Lives Matter become a rallying cry for tens of millions of Americans, demonstrations were held in more than 60 countries across the globe. My guest today is one of the founders of the Black Lives Matter Network. Opal Tometi is a civil rights activist who is named one of Time Magazine's most influential people of 2020. But she'll be the first to tell you that this is a collective movement that goes beyond any one individual. I recently called up Opal so we could chat about just how far the fight for Black Lives has come and where we got to go next. Opal Tometi, it is so good to talk to you. Thank you for chatting with us. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. I want to say congratulations. This Nobel Peace Prize nomination for the Black Lives Matter movement is incredible. What was your reaction when you found out? Brittany, honestly, <laughs> it is incredible. <laughs> and it's really a testament to the countless, gosh, millions and millions of people across the country and around the world who've been throwing down with BLM 
for years now. And it's beautiful to see the international community really come to acknowledge what we've always known. This movement is about peace. This is about justice. And I, I think what's also so moving about this recognition is the fact that it's not actually to an individual, right? It's about the collective movement because there have been so many people who've shown up, who've taken ownership of what Black Lives Matter means. And so there's something, you know, really amazing about that. But I think one thing that people don't know is that there have been 916 people who have received the Nobel Prize and only 16 have been Black people, right? Yeah. <laughs> only 16. So from the continent to the Caribbean to, you know, the Americas and beyond, only 16 of us. And so I think there's also something very important and historic about this moment and about the fact that this current day you know, Black liberation movement is being recognized in this way. I hear that. Amen to that. So I actually want to go back a little bit. I mean, as you've already intimated, obviously, this is a movement of a massive cast of characters and organizations who really created this thing. But you co-founded the Black Lives Matter organization back in 2013, along with Alicia Garza and Patrice Cullors, right after Trayvon Martin was killed in Florida. What was the goal when you first started out? You know, Brittany, I'm glad you take us back to that moment because I think with all of the excitement and all of the, the various things that are happening in this moment, we kind of lose the origin story sometimes. And back in 2013, the goal and really the impetus, I should say, of creating Black Lives Matter was to bring together our movement and our people and remind us that we can do something about anti-Black racism. We can do something about you know, the police brutality, about these various types of extrajudicial killings. And specifically at that time, we were all moved by the very, very tragic murder of Trayvon Martin at the hands of George Zimmerman mm -hmm. in Florida. You know, I had two younger brothers and the youngest of mine was 14 at the time. And so I was specifically thinking about him when I reached out to Alicia and said, hey, I saw your love note on Facebook that really said something so simple, but so you know profound, right? Black people, I love us. Our lives matter. And Patrice, who I didn't actually know at the time, put a hashtag on that on Facebook, which isn't you know, what people usually did on Facebook at that time. But she did that. And I called Alicia the next day and said, I'm not sure what this is, but I want to get in on it and I want to build it out for real, for real. And we you know, bought the domain name. I started our social media platforms and sent a massive email out to all the Black organizers I knew across the country <laughs> and, in, and just said, yo, like, let's use this. Let this be an umbrella for us to begin to articulate our demands. I think what's important for folks to also know, and, you know, I like to remind myself of this, is that from day one, we were always inclusive. Yeah. We always had, you know, a worldview that was was really expansive and, you know, quite literally, I remember <laughs> staying up late when I was building up the side and using Tumblr and saying, you know, black trans lives, black undocumented, black disabled, and just yes. really wanting to black immigrants, yes. black disabled lives, black queer lives. That's exactly what I want to ask you because you've made it really clear from this from the very beginning, right, that the organization and I think that the movement has made this clear broadly that 
all Black people are not a monolith, but this is for all Black people. That's right. That is 100% right. We're not a monolith, but we must address the issues of anti-Black racism if we are going to have a society that works, <laughs> that allows us to live the expansive, beautiful possibilities that we are actually endowed with as human beings. Yeah. And then you and I actually met in 2014 during the Ferguson uprising, which I was a part of, yeah. alongside thousands of other brave and courageous people. The Ferguson uprising is, of course, in response to the murder of Michael Brown Jr. by a Ferguson police officer. And, you know, you've said that it was in Ferguson that you all really started to talk about making the organization a global network. How did your goals shift as an organization when you really started to think about the global piece of it all? Yeah, BLM really took shape in Ferguson. There was something so beautiful and so profound about the ways in which Black people were mobilized to join the Ferguson uprising, the courageous people of Ferguson, and show up alongside folks and say, like, we've seen you. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're quite literally looking on our timelines and seeing the yeah. tear gas. We're seeing all of that. Brittany, you know you were on the ground. You experienced all that. And we were seeing that from a distance and essentially said, we can't let folks you know, suffer like that. And I think this is an important moment because oftentimes folks think about BLM as just being an online or they kind of dismiss us as like this, you know, it's just a digital thing and it's, you know, it's so trivial and who cares? And they were dismissing us. But mm -hmm. the physicality, the embodiment of our values in the ways that we showed up for our siblings, you know, in Ferguson, I think just changed the game. And that was actually what made BLM go quote unquote viral, you know, and the press gets it and all those sorts of things. And it, it goes across the world. And I just feel like that's important that folks recognize that it's not just the awareness raising that mattered in that moment, but there was something about the actual taking action together, showing up for one another. And not only is this happening here, but we know that Ferguson is everywhere. So we're going to go back home and we're yeah. also standing up for racial justice, you know, and, and, and for our rights. You know, after Ferguson, hashtag Ferguson, hashtag Black Lives Matter really starts to pick up online. Then you got Hillary Clinton as a presidential candidate, name dropping the movement, meeting with the movement, all the way to like storylines about the movement appearing all over television, including in Law and Order, which... Talk about irony. Uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, this is really, this has really entered like the average living room. Yes, it, it really has. It's ubiquitous. And it's great, you know, because what has also been ubiquitous has been white supremacy, has been anti-Blackness being the status quo. And so I'm like, yes, Black Lives Matter. <laughs> and I think this summer, this idea that Ferguson is everywhere and Black Lives Matter everywhere really took such incredible hold. The killings of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, the killing of Tony McDade, a Black trans man in, in Florida. This movement suddenly starts to see brand new members, right? Brand new people joining up. Tens of millions of Americans, millions of people across the globe. How would you say that what we saw in 2020 differed from what had come before? You know, what I think happened in the seven years since BLM's founding was that, yes, we were having these uprisings that were building and there's some momentum, 
But in 2020, given the nature of the COVID-19 pandemic and the nature of which it's both a health crisis, it's an economic crisis, people are, you know, stuck in their homes, being told they're losing their jobs and they're already living hand to mouth in many ways. And there was just really like what safety net was there was being further pulled away. And what I think was unique about last year was that there was an overwhelming sense that if Black people can still be killed with impunity in this environment, in an environment Mm -hmm. where so many are saying, you know, we're in all this together and, you know, we care about each other and we have to pull ourselves together, you know, all of this rhetoric, but it didn't match up. Mm. It just did not. And the contradictions, the hypocrisy was just so clear. And I think our allies, you know, people who normally maybe from a distance said, you know, that's wrong, that's bad. They finally said, you know what, enough is enough. My apathy or my sitting on the sidelines isn't going to cut it. And I'm going to show up. Oh, well, it is wild. I mean, if we if we get real about it, it is wild to think back to just a few years ago when we were being called Black identity extremists, when we were being yep. called thugs uh, and terrorists <laughs> by you know, folks just sitting in their living rooms, even this very phrase, Black Lives Matter, was viewed very differently, right? It was treated like a national security threat or ignored altogether. What has it been like for you to observe this shift? (laughs) It has felt, one, in the beginning, it always always felt like gaslighting, right? Because Mm. I knew, and and everybody really knew what we're talking about. Like, we know what it means to say Black Lives Matter. We know and we've seen the stories. We've seen people gunned down. And so for people to kind of say that you are, you know, meeting that Black people are superior or that, you know, some just other wild notions was really disingenuous and really distracting. And so for us to kind of fast forward to 2020, really the year being named 2020, so it's kind of fitting, right? We see things with clarity now that no, we know exactly what they meant. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, as a leader, I got to say, <laughs> um, you, you can get rather cynical or you might want to sure. you know, be kind of <laughs> pithy about it and all that, but I'm just glad. I'm like, welcome, you know, <laughs> welcome right. to the club. Let's get moving. We're glad you're here. Here's the manual. <laughs> Let's keep it pushing. We're not going to like slow down. Let's get to work. Yeah, we're not going to slow down for you. Yeah. Like, catch up. Speaking of catching up, we know that in a lot of more mainstream spaces, the idea of defunding the police is seen as incredibly radical. Uh, Do you think that one day defunding the police will become as mainstream as Black Lives Matter has? Well, I sure hope so on that latter part. You know, defund the police... um, this kind of language and and this umbrella framework for us is actually really important because it's a framework that invites us to look at the various possibilities for keeping our community safe and for resourcing those other solutions that are out there. And it's important for us to make sure that our budgets align with our values and that our budgets allow for everyone to thrive. And you know, clearly we're not seeing that as it stands now. And so what we're saying is that after all of these years of 
high incidence of, of police brutality, of extrajudicial killings, all of the, the lawsuits and the payouts and just the crisis of policing in this nation, why don't we take an honest assessment of it? Mm. And why don't we begin to reallocate those resources towards other solutions, especially those solutions that are designed and thought through by the people who've been adversely impacted. And we know that it doesn't look like having, you know, more and more police patrolling our neighborhoods. It looks like education. Um, It looks like mental health services being robust and so on. And so this is really an invitation into looking at safety beyond, you know, just policing and not continue to invest in ideas that clearly are not working, clearly are lethal, clearly don't respect the sanctity of Black lives. So let's talk about the sanctity of Black lives across the globe. You know, this movement, I won't even say has spread across the world. I'll say has connected with other racial justice uh, movements across the world. So what parts of the world are you are you paying most attention to right now? Yeah, I'm glad you said it like that because you're absolutely right. There are movements that are already going, right, that have been well underway and that have been inviting us more and more to connect and vice versa. And so I'm looking at the movement in Brazil, Mm. the Afro-Brazilian community. They're actually the majority in Brazil, but they've been suffering and catching hell and hyper-policing is an issue there as well. And the statistics are even worse than what's happening in the United States because of the economic disenfranchisement that they've experienced over the years and just the systemic oppression that's happening there. It's been very hard for them to get the type of shift in power that they deserve. They also have a president, Bolsonaro, who was so similar to Trump and really took so many of his Mm. cues from Trump and and vice versa. So I'm looking um, at our people over there and their righteous and incredible organizing that they're engaged with across the country. And I'm so inspired by them. And we should say that your connection, your personal connection to just how global a justice movement this is, you know, it comes from the very beginning. You are the daughter of Nigerian immigrants. You've talked before about growing up in a predominantly white suburb of Phoenix, Arizona. Is part of this global connection what first inspired you to become politically engaged? Yes, absolutely. Being the daughter of Nigerian immigrants has completely informed my work, the scope of my work, and just my passion and pride, you know, in us. You know, so much of how I orient to Black social movement building is in a way that transcends just you know, the U.S. borders, right? Um, I'm concerned about our people in Nigeria. I'm concerned about our folks, you know, in South Africa and France and, and wherever we are. And so, yeah, it's absolutely what informs me. And I was just incredibly deeply moved by the uprisings of largely in, in Lagos, but it really was across Nigeria, the NSARS mobilization, and that garnered, you know, global attention. And that, to me, was just a reminder of how profound the work is and how there is a need for justice in so many contexts. And the fact that our our struggles are are so righteous and so Mm. needed um, and that we shouldn't shy away for for demanding the justice that we deserve. 
You know, there's so much incredible leadership of women, Black women across this movement space. And I know you've said that people are sometimes surprised to learn how many of the organizations were started by Black women, how much is being run by Black women. How do you respond to people's surprise? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. You are so right to name that. The way that I respond to people's surprise is by (laughs) just reminding them about who it is that Black people really are. (laughs) And how do Black people come into being? It's it's, it's Black women, (laughs) right? (laughs) Come on. Like, who do you think cares you know, the most about what's going on with our people, with our with our siblings. Mm-hmm. So it's just surprising to me. I, I'll just say that it's surprising. And at the same time, I'm just glad that we can have and use these platforms in a way where we're saying, we're going to speak for ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> and I think we're living in a time where we're saying, you know, enough is enough. We're going to be truth tellers and tell it all. <laughs> um because we can't, we can't live like this any longer. We don't deserve this. We do not deserve this. And in that spirit of determination, what do you think has to come next for our collective movement? What I believe that has to come next is I hope and desire for folks to invest in us. And we have to begin to connect the dots even more around what is happening, you know, stateside to what is happening with our siblings in different parts of the globe, because our destinies are intertwined. That's right. What happens here does matter in, you know, other locations. We can't dismiss that, the significance of our connection and the significance of our nation's influence on other countries and communities. Amen, amen, and amen. Opal, it is always so good to talk to you, sis. Thank you for joining us. Likewise, so great to talk with you, Brittany. Opal Tometi is a co-founder of the BLM Network and a founder of the advocacy hub, Diaspora Rising. You know, six years ago, When we were in the streets of Ferguson, folks got on TV and Twitter and in our personal email boxes to call us everything but a child of God. Trigger warning, but I was nigger this and black bitch that. And according to all the people who hated us, we were jobless, lawless, ignorant thugs. But now a vast movement for racial liberation that spans organizations, people, and countries is so mainstream, it's getting nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. And I'm with Opal. Welcome, y'all. It's about time everyone caught up. But just as the nomination suggests, this has always been about peace. False narratives that we were seeking some kind of world domination, that gaslit so many people into believing otherwise. But if peace, as Dr. King said, is not merely the absence of tension, but the presence of justice, then that is precisely what we've been fighting for. I always call this freedom struggle of ours the movement because it's always been in motion. 
We've been continually fighting for racial justice for generations. These uprisings are just the latest manifestation of our collective human rights struggle. So it's important that we connect the dots with history and with each other around the globe so we become even stronger as the movement marches on. So that's it for today, but never ever for tomorrow. Undistracted is a production of The Meteor and Pineapple Street Studios. Our lead producer is Rachel Matlow. Our associate producer is Taylor Hosking. Thanks, as always, to Trezor Brooks, Grace Chen, and Hannes Brown. Our executive producers at The Meteor are Cindy Levy and myself. And our executive producers at Pineapple are Jenna Weiss-Berman and Max Linsky. You can follow me at Ms. Pacchetti on all social media and our team at The Meteor. Subscribe to Undistracted and rate and review us, y'all, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you check out your favorite podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being. Thanks for doing. I'm Brittany Packnett Cunningham. Let's go get free.